All right, guys, before we even begin anything, uh, <laughs> this episode was 98% done by the time that the news rolled in. Andrew Cuomo has resigned or announced his resignation for uh, as the governor of New York State. Uh, this makes my take that he will not only survive but win re-election one of the fastest turnarounds for an awful take in political history. Uh, I will take full responsibility for that, and you will hear an expert in betting lines explain what a disaster it was even when I made it a few days ago, a little later in this episode, but... I just wanted to let you know during the episode that we or the interview that we have coming up where we uh, uh, talk about what Cuomo can do or should do or will do. All of that was recorded before he resigned or announced his resignation. So be aware that worst take of all time. I will eat it. I made it before Biden said anything. For the record, but I will eat it. Here's my poop sandwich. Also, he can still run in the primary. Okay, here's the show. The following is brought to you by theknowledge.com, Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. Hello and welcome, everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics program for August 11th, 2021. My name is Justin Robert Young, joining you from the wilds of rural Texas. Out here for some personal business, but that does not mean that the politics stop for you. The dear listener, always working hard, no matter what, and we've actually got some news. I'll tell you what, it is It is rough when you're not totally focused, when you don't totally have your eye on the ball uh, that you hope, you hope that there is going to be something to cover. And thankfully, the world has made it easy uh, for me, as you guys can hear the seasonal cicadas out here, dog running around at my feet. If you're lucky, you may or may not hear several goats <laughs> which live next door to where I am. Uh, uh, and, and, and look, uh, those of you who have followed my career for a long time know that I am not in any way a roughneck. No, I am a, 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 a dazzling urbanite. I, I don't particularly enjoy the outdoors. <laughs> in fact, I rather distrust it. So when I was getting out of my car, uh, at this location, I, I made a very serious and, and heartfelt realization when it came to goats. I can handle high pitch goat bleeding, but the low pitch goat bleeding sounds so much like a human. It unsettles me to my core. <laughs> Can't handle it. 
can't handle. It freaks me out. It makes me feel like like something's happening. Like like there is there is some like someone's playing a prank on me. It sounds too human. I don't like it. Speaking of humans, we've got human infrastructure on the brain today. Hard, turgid, rock solid infrastructure is going to pass in the hours after I record this. It will likely be passed by the time that you listen to it. However, we can now turn our eyes to the enveloping, pillow soft infrastructure. What exactly lies beneath this $3.5 trillion bill that the Democrats hope to pass via reconciliation? What are the topics that you will continue to hear hammered over and over and over and over and over again over the next few months? We will get to that. Also, I want to bring attention back to something that we have not talked to in a while, and that is the detention of teenage migrants into the United States. A reminder that we, not too long ago, many of us are old enough to remember a time when we need to get these kids out of cages was a major issue. We have state-sponsored concentration camps was the issue. And of course, this all dovetailed nicely with the draconian measures that Donald Trump took at the border. It was his signature issue after all. So Joe Biden changes things, but are we for the better? A whistleblower and now a federal lawsuit alleges horrifying things at our border. We will get to that. All that, and we will explore what is assuredly my worst take of all time. Is it my worst take of all time? I don't know. Could it indeed be my worst take of all time? One week ago, as we covered the Attorney General's report from uh, Andrew Cuomo's sexual harassment investigation, I said not only would he survive it, but he would win another term. I put my money where my mouth is. I, I, I wagered on it via predicted. And let's just say I have uh, uh, put in what many would consider to be suckers cash. It looks bleak for your boy Cuomo. And we're going to discuss how we know it is bleak by the numbers. Indeed, a sports betting expert will be on the show. Evan Scrimshaw will join us from thelines.com. So we'll talk about Cuomo and others. But I feel like we have chronicled this bipartisan infrastructure bill to death. Honestly, I feel like we have gotten each and every nook and cranny. So, one more time for those who are just arriving. The bipartisan infrastructure bill was indeed thought to be a total lost cause. Both sides distrusted each other, and yet there was a perseverance by Kirsten Sanema, Rob Portman, and Joe Manchin to say that, no, 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 the way that the Senate actually is laid out right now, 
Nobody will have a choice but to listen to us if we take it seriously. And so the G10 or G20 or G15 or G15 and a half, whatever they want to call each other, they indeed did what they set out to do. They put a bipartisan infrastructure bill out there. They negotiated it with the White House, and it looks like they are not only going to get it passed with every single member of the Democratic Senate, but also with Mitch McConnell. If you're going to give them a letter grade for getting things through a divided Senate, it would be nothing short of an A+. But all power is future power, as we know. And if this thing, no matter as monumental an achievement as it is legislatively, is done, that means it's done for us. Now, of course, we're going to revisit it as this bill eventually makes its way to the House. But in the House, it's inextricably tied to the $3.5 trillion infrastructure package that the Democrats want to pass via reconciliation. So, what exactly is the $3.5 trillion infrastructure package that the Democrats want to pass through reconciliation? Let's break it down. Uh, number one, this is about soft infrastructure. Soft infrastructure. Hard infrastructure already happened. Bridges, tunnels, roads, broadband. Largely the stuff that is very popular across the aisle. So what is soft infrastructure? That is human infrastructure uh, by way of the Democrats. They are, are saying that, that not only... Is it the government's job to make sure that we safeguard the roads and tunnels and bridges that you use to get to work? We also need to make sure that you have an ability to work as a human. And so we are going to get into what that means. Before we start, though, let's talk about how they plan to pay for it. And remember, the Democrats, at least right now, say that this is a paid for plan. $3.5 trillion is paid for. That gets a press X to doubt kind of reaction from many folks, including within the Democratic caucus. But how do they say they will pay for it? Well, quite simply, taxes. Taxes targeted toward the ultra wealthy and big corporations to hear them say it. Now, we don't know ultimately what these taxes are going to look like because this is very much a bill in flux. A reminder that a month ago it was $6 trillion. Now it is close to half of that. So, as of right now, the taxes, according to Joe Biden, will come in for families that make over $400,000. That's his line in the sand. Now, He's already fudged that line a little bit because we have talked uh, uh, as part of this hard infrastructure bill. They did give in on uh, uh, road taxes. So that would theoretically mean that people who make under $400,000, indeed, some people that make under $20,000 will have to pay extra money out of their pocket so they can fund the roads for which they are driving on. It remains to be seen whether or not the Democrats will be able to hold to this. I think it's a bit of a stretch. Republicans say it's downright impossible to not raise taxes on the middle class with a bill this big. A reminder, $3.5 trillion is what funding the entire government used to cost 
not too long ago. And this is just on the part of infrastructure that doesn't have bipartisan support. So we'll see. That's how they say they're going to pay for it. And when you hear the quotes from some of the recalcitrant senators, including Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema, and they say, how are we going to pay for it? How are we going to pay for it? They say it's paid for. Let's see how it's paid for. This is the kind of stuff that they're talking about. So that's a good roadmap there. But what exactly is this pillow soft infrastructure? Let's start with this Medicare expansions. But before you get too excited, progressives, not Medicare for all or lowering the age of Medicare. What the progressives and Bernie Sanders specifically does get to check off his wish list is having dental, hearing, and vision added to Medicare, but not much else. So we are going to shore up if we're the Democrats. Uh, some of our, our our senior vote, we are going to butter them up a little bit more. Indeed, this will be an expanded social safety net for those that are older. That's a part of it. Now, how do you sell the idea that this is human infrastructure? Because we are talking about people being able to get to work for people who are not totally out of working age, but largely moving toward retirement, if you are indeed into the Medicare category, that'll be something that the Democrats ought to figure out messaging-wise. What's next? Education. All right, so now we're talking about some younger people. Here's something that I think can be sold fairly easily as human infrastructure, and that's universal pre-K. What we are seeing right now, at least with our unemployment numbers, which, by the way, credit to Joe Biden, he did have a good jobs report that just came out. We want to watch the jobs report. This was a good jobs report. Wasn't a great jobs report, but it was a good jobs report. And uh, remember, you only want to avoid back-to-back-to-back bad jobs report. That's what really keeps get, get the wolves out of their dens and start snarling at your door. Good jobs report means that the economy is less of a problem. So we are still seeing the fact that there are unfilled jobs And while we're going to still have to factor in this Delta stuff into jobs reports and and the economy going forward, part of it is that without authorization to vaccinate young children, people don't want to leave them to go work. We are also seeing this in non-pandemic circumstances with childcare and pre-kindergarten. So before you get to drop your little kiddo off from, you know, eight o'clock to two o'clock and and theoretically have time to go work and and put food on the table, there is pre-K. The Democrats, as part of this bill, want to make pre-K universal. So I think that's probably the easiest thing that you can sell as this gets people to work. This gets the economy going. Look at us where the Democrats were pro-economy. Here's another tick off the progressive wish list. Free community college for up to two years. This theoretically gets you a more educated workforce. It gets you uh, more access from lower class citizens into the world of academia. So for however much we are considering uh, a community college academia, at the very least, you're going to get a degree. Or you can get a two-year degree, which is good. 
obviously I have complicated feelings about college. I, I don't know exactly unless you're going into a extraordinarily specific trade like medicine or the law. I often think that a degree is, is something that you don't want to spend too much money on, but free community college is free community college. I do think that it can greatly benefit people. The question is, and this is where it's going to be attacked by the Republicans, is this the bill to do it in? And is this the method by which we can get people into college faster? Or is it just going to be a gigantic pile of money that falls through the cracks and is never really accounted for? And by, you know, uh, uh, five or six years from now, we have not that many more people that have gone to community college. And we're now saying, well, yes, it's because we didn't throw enough money at it. Now, we're going to move out of the realm of what I feel is the most easily defensible of the, this is really a part of infrastructure. This is really a part of getting people into the workforce. This is really about people uh, uh, integrating into society and making our, the, the harmony between work and life better uh, in, in the way that a, a newly paved road or a bridge you are pretty sure is not going to collapse makes life easier. These things that I've just mentioned, at least you can draw a circle around it. And we begin to move into the, the Democrats have the conch and boy, howdy, are they going to blow it because they've got elections coming up and they want to be able to go back and say to their voters, look what happens when you put us in charge. We do the things that we have been telling you we're going to do. What does that look like? Well, how about immigration and a pathway to citizenship? We don't know exactly what this is going to mean, but a pathway to citizenship has been brought up a lot more recently. It feels like the kind of loosey-goosey stuff that will get axed as uh, the Democrats begin to make hard decisions on what to cut and what not to cut so they can appease the mansions and cinemas of the world. Not to say that either of them are particularly immigration hardliners, but a reminder that, and we're going to get to this a little bit later, Biden's record on immigration right now isn't great. And if anything, the strength of the, the uh, uh, immigration hardliners of the MAGA movement that the most energized flank of the Republican Party, the ones that are going to be out there campaigning the hardest in the midterms, well, putting an a pathway to citizenship in a bill that had no Republican votes is basically a, 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 a dream fodder for them. You are, you are asking for the commercials. They write themselves. So right now it's on the menu. Who knows? How about this one? Increased public housing funding. All right. You want to know what? This is actually kind of miscategorized. I would put that in the, you know, you can, you can, you can make it defensible. How about housing for green and sustainable housing? Okay. All right. I don't know if that quite fits in. Yeah, no, it doesn't fit. That's more on the on on the environmental side. That's the look at us, look at us. We're doing the things that you voted for us for. Housing affordability is also in this bill right now. So, 
government subsidizing houses that right now are out of control. Again, I, I have a hard time. I mean, I guess you can't work if you don't have a place to live, but still, uh, we're, 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 we're on mission creep here. Green cards for millions of American workers. Well, this would be the closest thing that you could get. You, know, you, you can't have a job if you don't have a green card, if you are uh, from another country. This is, again, one of those issues that I think is tailor-made for Republican opposition. How about rehabilitating of VA hospitals? Okay. You know, you want to know what? I'm in, I'm in for this one. Rehabbing VA hospitals. I, I, I think you can say uh, we owe it to our veterans. Now, again, is the infrastructure bill the place to do it? Who knows? It's in there right now. And then we have this. And if there is anything that I have said that you believe you are going to uh, be repeated, either rhapsodized on MSNBC or demonized on Fox News, I think that we can all agree this one will likely be the headliner. A half trillion dollars plus to the Senate committees and federal agencies who oversee the environment to help reverse climate change. So again, this is 3.5 trillion right now. Let's just say that that 0.5 trillion, over $500 billion, just for the budgets of the committees and the departments. So you are, you are incentivizing more enforcement on stuff like this. Now, if you believe that that's the way that we are going to reverse climate change, then you are thrilled. And there is no doubt that when some politician's record on climate change is challenged, if they supported this version of the bill, they will say, I did capital S something. And then capital S, someone came in and ruined it. And of course, if you believe that this is a total boondoggle that will literally just be frittered away and wasted with nary a carbon particle interfered with, then you can say that this is total graft and it is just going to be grist for the mill for various different consultants and busybodies to get paid while nothing happens. But there we go. You're not going to get a $3.5 trillion bill without some controversial elements. This will all be fought over. The question remains for the Democrats. Can Joe Manchin, can Kirsten Sinema get on the side of this bill? And if they do, does it look like something that bears any kind of resemblance to what the more progressive flank of both the House and Senate have wanted? We have already seen a lot of rumblings that, that the progressives are not pleased. We will see. Something that I, I want to uh, continue to have our, 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 our eye on is what's happening on the border. Um, 
Mostly because I, I was very frustrated when we had our conversation during the Trump administration. And whenever I, I felt like I was trying to bring a historical context, including the fact that with immigration activists, Barack Obama had a very poor record. I mean, this is a guy who from within his own party was labeled the deporter in chief that for whatever you felt was happening with Donald Trump, and he certainly took a more hard line in terms of border policy and immigration, there is a large problem that does transcend party. And not every solution is one that ultimately fixes the problem. And lo, we enter the Biden administration. Let's not do what Trump did was the echoing cry because what Trump did was inhumane and awful. The idea of denying children and specifically children that were of adolescent age that, that could walk across the border, that could have people here in America take them in was cruel. This is something that, that led to death. We must reverse it. And so they did. And they have allowed hundreds of thousands of unaccompanied adolescents into America. But when the rallying cry is we got to get these kids out of cages, is the solution, although in my previous telling of it, as more humane than Trump's, actually as advertised? Are we not just figuring out a specific class of kids that we are now inviting into America and therefore are forced to put in, albeit temporary, cages. Because by the way, I mean, they were temporary before. Now, now they're, they're temporary still. And also, what are the conditions that these people face? Well, according to a whistleblower complaint submitted to Congress and the government last week, it's bad. Arthur Perlstein, a director at the Federal Mediation uh, Con Conciliation Service interviewed dozens of children who showed symptoms of depression, including suicidal thoughts and self-harm. We quote from his report, many, if not most of the children, if they had been at the facility more than a few days, told them that they were in prison and often begged to get me out of here. I don't know if I can take it anymore. In some cases, children tried to escape the facility. One clinician's primary response to a boy who felt sad and depressed was to tell him that he had nothing to complain about. And in fact, he should feel grateful for all that he was given. This is because of gross mismanagement, according to the whistleblower complaint. In fact, the whistleblower conveyed one disturbing incident in which a construction worker sexually harassed young migrant girls who then attempted to report the incident but were ignored. In multiple instances, groups of children were brought to the airport until they were going home, only to be told it was a mistake and brought back to the facility. Quote the report again. The Fort Bliss children did not and could not trust that they were safe, that their basic needs would be met, or that their sponsorship placement cases were being timely processed. Because again, that's what this is. They, they come here so they can find uh, uh, somebody in America that says they want to take them in. But at the same time, that's not a process that you really want to go like... <laughs> You want the kids out of there as fast as possible. But you don't want the process to go as fast as possible because as fast as possible is going to mean that they end up in the hands of coyotes 
a lot more than if it's thorough and you're making sure that the people that they're they're going to are, you know, family members and not just people that are going to pimp them out to prostitution or put them in effective slavery. Now, there is probably a good hearted debate that we can have on whether or not choosing through that distinction is possible on any kind of governmental time frame, specifically when in the interregnum they are sitting in a facility like we just described. Compounding that is putting them in that situation has now led to a federal lawsuit. Lawyers of the migrant children held in U.S. custody asked a federal court this week on Monday for the release of teenagers from two emergency housing sites in Texas, including Fort Bliss, where that initial whistleblower camp, uh, uh, complaint came from. The teens at the facility have reported deplorable conditions and said that they've suffered from mental health problems and prolonged stays at the facility. So, my question here is how much of any of this sticks to Joe Biden? How much of any of this is something that will reflect on it? And does the plight of these children create a lane for the hardline immigration folks to say, this is why we are, we, we, have, we have supported this stuff. We have supported a harder border because there is no true compassion in taking these adolescents in. It is only another form of imprisonment. It's why we have tried to make people who are crossing the border uh, understand that this is an inhospitable process. This is not something for which we can afford to show compassion because the more we show compassion, the more we put people in danger. There's a reason why Kamala Harris went down uh, into Central America and said, blankly, do not come. That was not the message of compassion that Joe Biden was saying during the presidential election. That's certainly not the message of compassion that uh, uh, immigration activists have said. To believe that this is something that can be solved by picking and choosing is only causing more heartbreak. Is that a line they can say? I don't know. I mean, I guess they'd have to be interested in it. It doesn't particularly rally their own base. This I'm speaking of the pro-immigration folks or the pro-immigration hardliners. Sorry. Immigration hardliners, not pro-immigration hardliners. It doesn't speak to them. But if you are running as more of a moderate and you want to wink toward the immigration hardliners, then maybe that is Elaine. I guess we're going to find out how all this meta cracks up as we go for forward. Um, you know, specifically for the midterms. We're going to have to count through our, our, our races to see which seats are going to be fought over and whether or not these issues are going to be a part of it. But specifically when you're looking at Arizona, you know, Arizona's a border state. Mark Kelly's got to immediately, um, he's got immediately put up, uh, his, his fight there. So we will see. 
ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for supporting this show. Uh, this has been a pretty crazy time. Pretty crazy time. Uh, a lot of travel. Oh, by the way, thank you to everybody who came on out to our political meetup, our political triad meetup. Myself, Briny Heaton out there at Podcast Movement, Music City, Nashville, Tennessee. Amazing time. A uh, 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 great turnout. We, you, guys, you, you have no idea how much this kind of stuff means to folks like us who uh, are doing this out here by ourselves. We ain't got a network. We don't get a paycheck with a big fancy company on it. Uh, uh, we are doing this for you guys. And so when you guys show up and show out, it really means a lot. So thank you guys for doing it. It really is important. On a day like today, when there is so much news, this is when I, I think it's worth it for the folks who shell out money to keep me doing this, to keep us doing this. And and that's why I would encourage you to head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. If you head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com, then you can support me on Patreon. That's where you get on the $3 level. That's where you get the, uh, that's where you get your name shouted out at the end of the show. It is all there for you right now. Take politics seriously.com. Uh, uh, chip in whatever you can. It is greatly appreciated. And, uh, now let's get to this interview. For those of you who have listened to me to a long uh, listened to me for a long time, you will know that I have a fascination with gambling. I love it. It surrounded me as a child. It helps me understand the world and it gives quantifiable boundaries to questions that we constantly go back and forth on. If you've ever heard me say the phrase, well what's the over and under on a certain thing, then, then th- this is part of it. This is part of the outgrowth, especially on a show that tends to focus on the outcomes and being right as incorrect, as opposed to right or left ideologically. Gambling is a way for us to say, sure, you might want X, but are you willing to put money on it? To which it is a shameful, shameful admission that I say that we have our first political gambling expert on the show right now. Evan Scrimshaw is a columnist for thelines.com and he joins us. Welcome to the show, Evan. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. Now, this is I'm I'm shocked that it's taken me this long on the show to have somebody on specifically about political betting. <laughs> but uh, uh, it, it is it has been a fascination of mine forever uh, growing up around a very betting positive household. <laughs> I have always been uh, fascinated with just the world of gambling in general. And of course, my national my natural interest interest into politics dovetails there. But I had never actually placed a political bet until I quite possibly made one of the worst of all time because I thought 
right after the Cuomo uh, press conference with, with uh, attorney general Tish James uh, and then his reaction that I, for whatever reason, thought that there was value in the idea of betting not only for him to survive, but to win another term as governor, because that was the biggest value. It seems like everything has fallen apart. Uh, uh, but I wanted to start here in terms of what you've seen with the Cuomo betting odds. Where were they? How stable were they? And how much were they affected by what happened last week? So. We'll start this with it was end of February, early March when all the allegations came out and they punted and Cuomo got Tish James to do the inquiry and which the report came out last week. Basically, everyone's like, oh, he might resign in February, might resign in early March. And then everyone's just like, he's not going to resign. He's going to hold on and then maybe he'll lose the the primary, but he was going to a 95% favorite to not resign. Yeah. Um, wasn't going to be impeached. Then the report comes out Wednesday. It was Wednesday of last week and the odds just plummet. I think they were, I think it was 50, 50 by about Wednesday night. He's now like 70, 30 to, um, to, to not be in office by the end of the year. Um, there's the sort of corollary question of whether he's going to resign or, um, he'll be impeached. We can get in that in a minute, but basically as soon as it happened, everyone, there was a few contrarians like you, yeah, we're like, no, we're going to, you know, he's going to hold on. It's going to be fine. He's just going to do what he always does. But what happened was there was Joe Biden said he should resign. Nancy Pelosi said he should resign. Chuck Schumer said he should resign. And something like 90% of the New York State House and State Senate put out statements within a day saying he should resign. And at that point, it was clear that he would not be able to hold on just by sort of getting partisan Democrats to be like, no, he's our guy. We're going to back him in the way that say Bill Clinton managed to do in the late nineties. Yeah. My, my rationale was that through all of this, and I think your lines really showed that even though, you know, we had all this information beforehand, it was just reported by private interests uh, in, in the press and not through Tish James's office he seemed to maintain, you know, an over 50% approval rating through, uh, through all of it. Uh, now there was a, a, you know, he, he was, he was not doing as well with the idea of, of whether or not he should run again. But then again, that's a tricky question to pull for anyway, because if he was able to be better than whoever ran against him in the primary, that he would assuredly win past that. But I, I guess it really was Biden. It really was the, the, the fact that, he, uh, you know, I, I've, I've long said that Cuomo has sort of old growth, uh, New York politics power because of his family. And, and that is a very, they, they, they respect the elders in that political party and specifically in that state. But I guess if he's fueled by the establishment, when the establishment turns against them, that's kind of the, the, the sign that, you know, all the, all the wait staff is putting the chairs upside down on the, on the tables because the party's over. Yeah, my thing, my thing was, because I, I was arguing with somebody, no, it was Tuesday it came out. Yeah, it was Tuesday it came out, not Wednesday. Uh, last week, I remember arguing with a friend of mine that night. He was just like, it's Cuomo. He always survives. Cuomo survived in New York. And I'm like, yes. But the reason Cuomo survived the Cynthia Nixon primary challenge last time was 
what serious Democrat was ever going to oppose Andrew Cuomo. Yeah. Because opposing Andrew Cuomo, if you are a state senator or a state assemblyman or woman in New York, okay, cool. You're going to lose your primary. You're going to lose your job. And all these assembly members and, and state senators owe Cuomo because he was, his endorsement was political goal for them. Yeah. The problem is now, if you get an endorsement for Andrew Cuomo, that's going to incur a primary challenge against you. And the moment where I'm like, no, he's done was there was a story. I think it was Thursday or Friday of last week. And it said that, you know, he's looking at his options. He's trying to figure out what he can do. He's trying to, you know, like he's, he's gonna, he's gonna start the fight back. I'm just like, Oh, okay. I know what this is. He's, 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 he's gonna like spend the weekend trying to figure out his plan came out that he was, he, he tried to do a deal with the Democrats in the assembly be like, oh, I won't run again, but like, so don't impeach me. I'm not going to run again, but don't yeah. like get rid of me. And Democrats in New York were just like, um, no, we're not going to do this. Get, get out, go like resign or we'll impeach you. And I don't think he's, I don't think he survives. I don't think he survives the month. I really don't. He's going to resign because why are you just going to sit there and take a bullet after bullet, after bullet, after bullet of an impeachment draw? Yes. And Evan, he hasn't yet. <laughs> and I, I, I do wonder whether or not, I mean, this is a guy who saw presidential ambitions sooner rather than later, uh, uh, not, but a few months ago, I don't imagine that he believes this is the end of his career. So I, I don't know, but part of me I, understands that all of my dumb sucker money is lost in terms of thinking that he was going to survive it and continue to roll on. But I, I do wonder, I, I would still be bullish on, on the, on the, on the not resigning thing. Uh, uh, just in that it's one thing for everybody to say that they support impeachment. It's another thing to try to impeach a still reasonably popular governor a democratic governor for the first time in a hundred years. I, I think that that is something that we are, we're, we're kind of a little bit too blithely fast forwarding on, but right now your odds say that that is, that is most likely either resignation, either he does what he has not, uh, which is give in and resign. He has re rejected that at every turn or he gets impeached, but either way, he's not there at the end of the year. Right. Yeah. And so the, I, I get that argument. But let's let let's just play to the self-interest of New York state politicians, right? You're you're yeah. ambitious, you want you 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 want to move up in the world, right? So if you knock out Cuomo, right, there's a there's a there's a knock-on effect, right? You get a you get a primary where presumably the lieutenant governor and the AG are running against each other. That's yep. two offices that open up. That means people are gonna have to run for those offices. Yep. Maybe a congressman runs. Maybe maybe a couple of Congress people will run. The offices start opening up. You, if you're a state, if you're a state house member, oh, you might get that state senate seat you've been eyeing because you know, dominant move. And at the end of the day, getting rid of the blockade at the top shuffles the deck so much that you're going to get openings and you're going to get yourself in better positions than you were, than you than you could have been previously. And again, Andrew Cuomo might be popular enough amongst Democrats in the sense that like there's still some like tribal affection for the guy because uh, he's a Democrat and you know at, at no point like at some point you're still going to get 50% Democrats to say 
sixty percent Democrats say, yeah, he's you know he's our guy. To you know he's a he's a governor with a D beside his name. I'm going to approve of him. But if you get rid of him now, as opposed to letting the voters, you know, theoretically maybe the maybe the primary challengers split the split the vote, or maybe they can maybe they don't catch fire. Get rid of him now. Makes your life easier. And if you're Cuomo, do you want three, four, five, six weeks of your allegations of your accusers with a national platform, a national spotlight, in you know testifying? It's gonna go, it's gonna run live on CNN, MSNBC, Fox for six weeks, and then what? They're all doing. They're all going to be doing Anderson Cooper that night. They're all going to be doing. Doctors, do you want that to be the dominant thing for six weeks or resign? Go, go, go live your, your life as the, you know, extremely rich son of a former, you know, governor and just go off and play with your dog or whatever. Uh, well, because I think for a politician of Cuomo stature, that last part is akin to him jumping off a cliff. <laughs> like, like, okay, when, but okay. But if your choices are get pushed off the cliff or jump off the cliff. I think I think he's going to make people to push him. I honestly do. Uh, uh, I I I think that that for like a a dude like that. All right. So the 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 scenario you just painted. Do you want that for six months or six six weeks? I think what he would say is it's already happened for three months. It's not like he hasn't gotten an avalanche of bad press. What I would, and this is why I initially I initially put the money down, was that you know. Yes, there is tribalism. Obviously, uh, New York is a is a solidly blue state. And Cuomo is not just a guy. I mean, remember, this was somebody that was was slavishly uh, praised for how he handled COVID. He still has, even amongst all this, very high marks for how he has handled COVID. He was looked at as the anti-Trump. And I do think he does based, you know, uh, not only on his family's connection, but also his performance as somebody who's already been elected so many uh, times, he's got a connection to these voters. Now, that being said, I agree with you that if there is the reality that he is going to get pushed out, then that changes the math. I think what his strategy is right now is stall, 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 and then hope that Everybody who was so steely eyed about pushing him out reconsiders it if his polling rebounds or the the meta that comes out of this is not quite as frantic as the one that we are in right now. Yeah, and I wrote I wrote in March for uh, my own site where I I don't talk about betting as much um, that like he's not he's not going to leave of his own volition because then the the question was like he could still win this right yeah he could still survive and the thing is if andrew cuomo somehow is the democratic nominee in a year he is winning that general election like yes. he he will win I, I would literally never listen to anyone who argued against that the thing is though is that like i just if your choices are lose now or lose more painfully in six weeks i think you just take the lose now option and he resigns so here's the other the other thing that I was thinking in terms of, uh, of the possibility. Is there the lane for Cuomo to be the anti-cancel culture Democrat? Like, is is this his brand that, yeah, they came for me. 
And they they tried for for political purposes, nefarious though they might be, to advance their own political agendas. They came for me on trumped up charges that I'm not leaving because I want to serve the people of New York. And if you have to impeach me, fine. If you have to remove me, fine. He would rather cash out as a martyr to his hardcores than somebody with his tail between his legs. The it's not it's not a bad argument. I disagree for one reason. Okay, it's really hard to call yourself the victim of cancer culture when you were the one who asked uh, James <laughs> to look into these allegations, right? It's easier when it's the times or the post or whoever, yeah, a sort of amorphous enemy over there, as opposed to someone who you literally asked to look into these allegations. Uh, with the understanding, Evan, that uh, uh, of the, there is no real true north in politics, right? Like everybody, everybody shapes their own reality so they can make the argument that best suits them. Uh, uh, I do think that that is, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I oh, oh, I have no, I have no doubt that Cuomo might try it. I mean, he tried to argue that Obama hugging uh, a hurricane, I think it was a Hurricane Sandy victim. Yes. Was 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 his it was part of his evidence that what he did wasn't sexual harassment, which like shamelessness is part of the gig. I just don't think anyone's going to buy the cancer culture argument if if he trots it out, partially because he already did trot it out and everyone just summarily laughed at him in March. Well, but again, it's like uh, I I do I and 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 I'm I'm curious to to ask you this in terms of of how the lines move. The one thing that I try to look at and and with my show, I, I really am biased toward being right as in determinative of the outcomes and, and not uh, uh, trying to get too swept up. And one of the things that I have found is that whenever there seems to be, especially in the capital V capital O very online crowd, a very, very, very firm consensus that I am best served by taking one step back and saying, okay, but what are the fundamentals? And the reality is that the fundamentals for Cuomo going into this were pretty good. I think there was a reason why he was emboldened enough to do that video where he ran the montage of himself and others uh, hugging and kissing people on the forehead and cheek uh, uh, during his 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 thing. So uh, last question here on on Cuomo and specifically in terms of the uh, of the odds. Uh, do you find that when you're watching the the odds change are they largely on the like twitter or facebook arguments of the day or do you see a more bedrock slow transformation when it comes to people actually putting money on these things oh no people massively overreact to dumb shit. um <laughs> i uh so there was just that uh, there was just the the nina turner Chantel brown primary in ohio and uh I I touted for for the lines um a Chantel Brown bet when she was about a two to one underdog, just on the logic that Hillary Clinton won that district by 36 points in the 2016 primary. And Nina Turner, who is famous for being a anti-Clinton Democrat, yes, well, Democrat in air quotes, Bernie Sanders supporter. I literally just looked at it and went, why are we? Why is Nina Turner a favorite in a Clinton plus 36 district? That was literally the extent of my logic. I looked into it. I wrote a column. It was right. If you listen to me, you made money. Yeah. Um, I faded Andrew Yang in the same spot before the New York City primary, which is actually my first column for the lines. Um, 
like you can definitely just like avoiding overreactions of extremely very online people is generally a good way of making money. I know because I was you you were talking about the the, the dumb bet you made. Yeah. I lost a lot of money on Jamie Harrison last year in South Carolina Senate. Oh, really? Because I I bought the polls. I yeah. bought the I bought the polls. I've uh, I've, I've written all about why I got. I, I didn't have a great plan. <laughs> was, was, was this right. before the sex scandal, or no? No, 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 the, no that, was, that was that was cutting it. That was the other Carolina. Yeah, yeah, that was that was in North Carolina. Um, yeah, no, like I didn't have a great 2020. I got Georgia right twice. So that was that was good. Made a lot of money on Georgia. Made a lot of people money on Georgia. But um, no, I totally got South Carolina wrong. And it's just like sometimes you're gonna buy, like sometimes you're gonna you're gonna buy the hype, and you just have to like tell yourself like you just have to. If everyone agrees with you, you're probably wrong. Because yeah. the thing is, the consensus is not generally super sharp when you're looking at betting markets that are very driven by what. How do I put this proper? Democrats will bet on Democrats, Republicans will bet on Republicans. And you were literally getting like Joe Biden was only like a nine to one favorite to win Georgia after all the ballots were cast. Yeah. I don't like, like, I know, I don't know why that was because people were crazy and then you had all the conspiracies and everything, but like, there is an amount of, I would like, I would very much like X to happen. Therefore, I'm going to bet on X to happen. And you can generally find good value fading the candidacies, the candidacies and the, and the line movement incurred from very aligned people. So this is something that that's fascinating and folks who are, are all right. So we're, we're, we're going to move into some comparisons to other forms of betting, but in the world of sports, there are, are things and I'm, I'm not explaining this to you, Evan, but rather to the audience mm-hmm. that may or may not be sports literate, but there are teams that are known as public teams. So in, in America here, like Notre Dame, the Dallas Cowboys, the Pittsburgh Steelers, teams that have big national followings, you have to understand once you've watched these lines enough that there is just going to be X amount of betting for that team, no matter what that has little to do with whether or not they believe that that's a smart bet, but rather just because there's so many fans that they just want to put money on that, no matter what, what you're saying is that for politics, that's a tremendously disproportionate number of the bets that are put on it because both the Democrats and the Republicans are about as public in, in the gambling term teams as, as there are. Oh yeah. So I'm a, I'm a Green Bay Packers fan. And um, I, 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 I just appreciate the fact that I am never going to look at a Packers line and go, Oh yeah, great. I'm getting a great line on the Packers because yeah. I have Aaron Rodgers as my quarterback. I'm never going to get a price that I love betting on the Packers. And the thing is, if you're, like willingly, if you're a neutral, or even if you're a Democrat willing to bet against your party, or a Republican willing to bet against your party, you will be able to find value. Um, I've told this story before, but I am, um, you know, I'm I'm a, I'm a Democrat, and people will not be surprised if you follow me on Twitter or anything. But the most <laughs> money I've ever made betting on politics, the two the two the two elections I made the most money ever betting on politics were the 2019 Australian election and the 2019 British election. Because in both cases, the 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 the, the right wing parties were undervalued by the betting markets. Yeah, because the betters in those places were disproportionately uh, very online lefties. Gotcha. And so the markets 
had overreacted. And I just came in and was just like, I do not like either of those prime ministers. I don't like either of those parties. In, in, a, in a sort of like, if I were the dictator of the world, would I choose them to win the elections? No. But there was value. Yes. And I was just like, cool, these are your five bets or six bets or whatever. These are the ones that line up the value. Just going to bet them all. And, and so, I made a lot of money doing that. And the, and the thing is, it's but not very many people are willing to place bets on outcomes that they don't themselves want to happen. Ooh, this is good. I'm going to get more into online political better. I feel like, I feel like we, no, so, see, this the, is the thing, great. The was, I love like, this. Uh, the, the, the polls in Australia had blown out to like this big lead for the left. Yeah. And then the polls tightened and the markets never did. Yeah. So you had these, like you had these like incumbents who all like my stuff said, we're going to win again for the right. Who were like two and three to one underdogs. And I'm just sitting there looking like, I don't want them to win. I don't want them to do well. I don't like this political party, but, but I yeah, have this guy here, winning win. 5% of the time and he's three to one. Okay. Like I got, okay, I'm going to fire. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bet that heavy because that's what I would do if this was a football team. I yeah. thought I was going to win 35% of the time at that price or a soccer team or whatever. And made a lot of money twice doing it. But the thing is people aren't willing to do that because they're not, that's not what people want out of political betting. They don't, people don't use political betting to be like super sharp. They use political betting to bet on outcomes they want to happen. To make money on top of the feel good of their team winning. Yes. There we go. Okay. So let's bounce out of New York state. Uh, uh, what are some other races that you have your eyes on? Obviously we are in a bit of a fallow period in the political calendar, but certainly some interesting races coming up, including the recall election out there in California and the governor's race in Virginia, do you have any takes on those? I definitely have takes on both of those. Um, I'll do Virginia first, just because it's less interesting than California, admittedly. Yeah. Um, Terry McAuliffe is the popular is the popular former governor of a, of a state that voted for Joe Biden by more than ten points, while Joe Biden is still pretty popular nationally. He's going to win. There's no real evidence that he's not going to win. So you don't, you don't you don't you don't buy the 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 ghost stories of uh, of, of of Virginia uh, going against the national election that it is it is the the, the pre midterm midterm. Yeah, remember remember that uh, UK election in 2019 that I was just telling you that I made yeah. all that money on. Um, I the way I made all that money was betting on the Tories to win seats they had literally quite literally never won in their lives. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm a big fan of the Strokes, um, and one of the one of their First album, it's alone together. And the line that's always struck me is things have changed in a permanent way. And politics is different now. Things are different. People are more partisan now than they were 10, 20, 30 years ago. And Terry McAuliffe is a Democrat in a Democratic state with a popular, or at least not unpopular, Democratic president. He's going to win by six. Okay. So you are saying you, you, you're not, you're not buying the, uh, I'm yeah. not, I'm not Trumpian, but I can wink to the Trump's, uh, uh, Yunkin buzz. No, 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 absolutely not. The only thing I'd say about Virginia, wait until Yunkin puts out like a poll showing him tied people overreact. And that's what you bet there in the call. Just like, <laughs> wait until you get the bad poll and, we're, and we'll get to the bad polls in a second, because the other one you mentioned was the Gavin Newsom recall. Yep. Um, Newsom was like a 90 point favorite. It was like 90, 10 to win again yep. in like three weeks ago. 
there were some polls showing like a five-ish point lead for recall. And then that went to like 80 to 80-20. And then we got a, a poll last week showing a 10-point lead for the for the anti-Newsom forces. And everyone freaked out. I think the I think he's down to basically a like two to one favorite at this point. And the thing, uh, the thing is that poll is like literally like mathematically impossible. Um, a buddy of mine literally did the math and their poll literally cannot be mathematically true, but it's just, it's a bad poll and everyone's overreacting because, oh, it's a bad poll. Despite the fact that I can guarantee you, guarantee you the exact same people who are currently saying, oh, Newsom might lose Republican, like we might recall Newsom. If this was a Republican recall, if this is a recall of a Republican governor in Mississippi or Arkansas or Alabama, and there was a poll showing a Democrat winning, would say fake poll. Why are we why are we reporting this? It's obviously untrue. California is the state that voted for Biden by 30 points. Yep. Newsom's gonna win. So it does not worry you the fact that this is an off, off, off year election and uh, uh, the the enthusiasm between the, the the enthusiasm gap between the Republicans and, and the Democrats doesn't worry you. Two things. Uh, there was a special election in New Mexico and I think it was June 1st and people were like, oh, special election. Democrats might do really badly. I think the one poll of the race showed like a like, like a 13 point lead, something like that. Democrats won by more than they won in October or November by because they're, the evidence of the enthusiasm gap wasn't really there. Second thing is California mails ballots to every single voter. Yeah. So the like, oh, if I have to like go to a polling place on a random Tuesday in September, I might be worried about that. But it's you literally get the ballot mailed to you and ballots are literally going out now. So they'll be out for a month. And the third thing is Newsom's campaign hasn't spent really any money yet. Yeah, they are. They about, have a, they war, they have a war chest. I, I think I think it's like twelve million dollars in advertising. So everybody will know and that, that and September. That, and the thing is, yeah. And the thing is, if 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 Newsom's in any amount of trouble in the the recall, I think is the fourteenth. Oh, well, Labor Day. If he's in any trouble in Labor Day, there's eight days left. Uh, the DNC is going to get to drop another ten million, like yeah. in the final week. So you think that's that's when, that, that's when that's when you know they 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 send in the reserves and you get the big names and everybody is out there. So no matter what, Democrats will know this is a thing that you need to go and vote for. That 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 Newsom is is a bit of a a sacred cow. We're, Democrats are not going to risk losing losing a governor this time, especially given that, like, because everyone's like, oh, Schwarzenegger won in three in the recall. Sure, against a governor with a 25% approval rating and without a Democrat in the White House. And the reason the Democrat in the White House matters is there wasn't like a central Democrat to rally the troops. Yeah. Biden, Biden literally picked as his VP the other most prominent San Francisco politician of all time. Yeah. Or of, of, yeah, of recent, recent times. Kamala, yeah. Kamala and, and, and Gavin Newsom are friends. They did a deal famously on who would take the governorship and who would take the Barbara Boxer Senate seat. They get along very well. There is no way Biden and Harris are going to let Gavin Newsom twist in the wind if this is a three-point race on Labor Day. It's not going to happen. The only thing that I, and I've always said, because I've always been bullish on, on Newsom retaining unless there was a particularly dynamic candidate that could expose his weaknesses on 
uh, you know, on, on the other side. And really, I thought that that would most likely come from the Democratic Party, if if, if, if anything, because the California Republicans are so laughably weak. Uh, the only thing that I could see is that, and someone who just recently moved out of California, <laughs> this is the time of year when stuff tends to get hairy, you know? So if we are in a particular situation of either political unrest or wildfires or something else that, that goes crazy. There is, there is the, the, the recency bias that I think would, would give me a little pause, but by and large, I agree with all of your fundamentals here. I think that he is in about as good of a position. And if, if the worst thing that can happen is that he is now, you know, by, by averaging everything out in a dead heat on the recall question before he's really even started spending money. I, I agree with you that it's a fairly safe bet. Yeah. That's the, that's the thing, right? He is, he's, he's, he's in a like mediocre spot right now. He's not down 10 in no. reality. He might be no. tied, right? Like, like at worst he's tied. And if he's tied right now, the thing we tend to see, and this is the thing I definitely got wrong in 2020, but the thing we tend to see is, uh, oppositions in, in safe or, 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 you know, pretty likely states, they can get to a tie six weeks out. They can get to a tie four weeks out. Generally at that point, states come home to their partisan, to their partisanship from this point on. You saw those like tied Ohio, tied Iowa, um, tied Texas polls last time. And what happened was those states, even, even the South Carolina polls, and I was, you know, an idiot for believing, you know, those, those states were close. The undecided broke for the for the party they always break for. States get states get more partisan, and Newsom's not going to win by you know. I think he won the the governorship by twenty two uh, in twenty eighteen. He'll yeah. probably win by I don't know. I, I I'd say he wins by ten. I, if you made me put a gun to my head right now, I would take the under on ten. If the line was ten, I might take the under. I think th- this has all the hallmarks of he wins, but it's closer than it should be. To me, it's a, like, it's a, it's a, it's a safe victory in the sense of the GOP never had a chance of winning, but the margin's going to be slightly more uncomfortable for Democrats than they would like it to be. Well, and that's what I found the most fascinating is, is a, a guy that we actually had on here on this show, right? When he announced, because I, I, when, when, when the recall first happened, I was like, look, I believe an influencer could win the governorship. <laughs> I believe like in my, my example was Logan Paul, but uh, uh, meet Kevin, Kevin Paffraff right now on that ballot. And, and for those who need a refresher, this is going to be a two question ballot. Should Gavin Newsom stay or go? Yes, no, that's a 50% question. So if it's over 50% that he goes, he goes separate question who replaces him. Uh, if that's the case, Kevin Paffreff, who is a, a YouTuber on, on the Meet Kevin channel, he's the only Democrat with any kind of a name at all. Beyond that, it's it's Caitlyn Jenner and Larry Elder and, and you know, then the, 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 the Washington generals known as the GOP in California uh, with Kevin Faulkner and, and John Cox. So it's like that that is something that I, I am I'm, I'm curious if things get hairy and people are getting those ballots and they're like, look, Newsom sucks. Uh, let's just vote for the other Democrat, assuming that the other Democrat is somebody that has connections to the party. That would be the, the, the craziest situation. If I were, if I were to put any kind of just flyer money, I, I feel like, I feel like my boy meet Kevin might be the way to go. Hmm. If I was going to, if I was going to bet that like someone like, you know, 35, 40 to one, whatever I might, I, I might, 
you take a flyer on Caitlyn Jenner, I think a lot of Democrats are just going to go, they're going to vote yes on, or they're going to vote no on the recall. And then they're just going to literally like pick a name on the other ballot. And Jenner literally just might be enough for people to be like, why not? I so you for would say for, a, the, for, for, the, for the meme, for the meme, uh, people would do it even if they're supporting Newsom. I no on no on recall uh, and then voting for Jenner both to both to say that you were that you voted for because the other thing is we're we're talking about like you know California you know West Hollywood liberals right um, oh I voted I, I I voted for the for the for the trans candidate yeah might might, might be an appealing might be an appealing you know um, virtue signal for a very you know. Uh, or a more common than I think people realize kind of uh, liberal in San Francisco and LA. Mm, I don't know. Uh, that, that one seems a bit far-fetched, but I do think that uh, uh, just because Caitlyn Jenner is such a known quantity, if it were an activist or somebody that, that uh, you know, was able to kind of make her own impression, I would think that there'd be more of a, more, okay, more but of a how chance. Many, okay. But how many, I don't, I don't know. I don't know that the like average don't really care about politics. I'm a Democrat. I just vote for Democrats like California recall voter who just like got the ballot in the mail. Yeah. Just like no one, no one recall. I, like, like if you don't pay that much attention to the news, I like your Caitlyn Jenner news might literally have run out at um, like she used to be like, it might have literally started and ended with your consumption of, of Kardashian news. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That you might, you might just remember when she was getting a lot of favorable press and she was the, the, uh, sports person of the year for ESPN at the SBs and everything. And you might, you might just kind of assume that and have never watched her on Hannity and, and, and that would be, that would be that. Yeah. I, 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 I get that. I, my, my question then would be how many of those people are even going to vote in this election? You know, how many of those people and are, are going to fill out their get, ballot and send it back? The- because well, it's not that hard to do though. Like, because again, they literally just get it mailed to them. And like, there's a, I mean, I think turnout is probably going to be higher than people think just because again, you get mailed a ballot. And I just think, I just think that like mail elections raise the floor on turnout in such a way that I think that Newsom's like, I think Newsom's going to be fine because of it. Um, but yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't think, yeah. I mean, maybe, 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 maybe your boy is going to be the, would be the, would be the that, one. I don't know. The thing yeah, I don't that, know. That's the thing what, I'm, the thing I'm curious about is, are they going to release the results of the other ballot if Newsom wins? Because in, in 03, we got the, we got the results of the other question, but obviously they voted to recall the other Democrat. I think you have so to, they, right? That's a good question, though. I think hopefully, you have to. That, hopefully, because that's going to be, I'm, I'm, I'm really going to want to see. The thing I really need them to do is obviously anonymize like the, the ballots, but I just want to know the number of like I want to know the number of no on recall Jenner voters. I just really want to know this as like a like a <laughs> like a like a social science experiment. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm I am I am with you. I am very curious to see what it is, and, and also I would say, uh, man, if uh, uh, if 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 Caitlyn Jenner were a a competent political candidate and that was a competent political campaign i would be curious to see what she could do uh but uh she's not and it isn't and so it'll be kind of strictly a referendum on her name value uh 
Evan Scrimshaw, uh, this has been an awesome, awesome time chatting. And uh, uh, I will, uh, if, with, with your permission, uh, this will not be your last appearance here because I would love to go over odds periodically. Uh, but thank you so much for making time. Uh, where can people find more of your work? So I have a thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. It's uh, absolutely down to do this as frequently as you would like to book me. <laughs> um, I write about political betting once a week for the lines. Columns are generally on Monday or Tuesday. Uh, I have a substack, uh, scrimshawunscripted.substack.com, uh, where I write about uh, sort of general politics, also Canadian Canadian politics, British politics, Australian politics uh, over there because I I'm, I'm Canadian and I just have a I have a I have a thing for for international politics, um, which anyone who listened to all the to who listened to the interview knows. And um, follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter at East Grimshaw, um, E S C R I M S H W. Um, you'll have to tolerate some the occasional uh, soccer tweet, but generally pretty good at tweeting about, you know, any sort of new, you know, breaking news, um, snarky opinions, some jokes. I think I'm, I think I'm a not horrible Twitter follow. So, uh, <laughs> well, and obviously, I, and obviously I tweet links to, to everything I'm writing. So if you just want to, uh, you know, make sure you don't miss something, um, just follow me on Twitter and, uh, you'll, you'll see it all. I am sure that there will be many people listening to this that will do exactly that. Uh, Evan, thank you so much for joining us. Glad to, glad to, glad to be on. And that will wrap us up today. A reminder that if you would like to follow Evan Scrimshaw, you can do so by heading on over to PX3 Guest. Dot com. If you'd like to send us an email, it is theyoungamerican at gmail.com. If you want to hit us up on Twitter, and boy, I'm recording this last, so this is the last thing I had to do. So this is after all the Cuomo stuff. Oh, boy, the Twitter, both PX3 tweets where, where the show is, and my personal Twitter, Justin R. Young, pretty busy. Pretty busy. <laughs> Get founded! px3live.com is where uh, my Twitch streams are. Our newsletter is at px3newsletter.com. You can share this podcast at px3podcast.com and go ahead and get your politics merch for this show at politicsmerch.com. You want to give me a one-time donation for having the worst political take of all time, you can do so at paypal.me slash payjury. Venmo, justin-young-20 and cash at px3cash. You can send me anything that you would like to physically to P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. Jen Briney was saying that that's a very popular thing for her audience because checks are the only way to donate where nobody takes a cut. So if you are conscious about supporting the show but don't want any middlemen greedily taking their little, uh, their little bit, wetting their beaks... Then you can send me a check. P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas 78715. Of course, the only way that you get the bonus content is by going to takepoliticsseriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we miss on the podcast schedule, including the Sunday, Sunday, Sunday show and the late show, which will be on Thursdays. And I actually might 
uh, might might do a little bit more extended thoughts on Cuomo for this Thursday's. Meanwhile, the ten dollar tier gets your name read at the end of the podcast because they are a part of the Titanic ten dollar tier. Unfortunately, I do not have the nicknames here, so we're just going to read them off as they appear. Uh, David, Snuffy's off Route 44. Catherine, Jay Sulu, Brian, Chris, Saverio, Alec, Government Unfiltered, Jerry, Neil, Charles, Darren, David, Olin and Angela, DL, Stephen, Chad, Nomadic Terran, Miranda Janelle, Robert, Casey, Paul, the most conscientious nonpartisan listeners, David, Brad, D-Laser, just another pilot, Mike, it's middle age, Mike, to you. Scale, Jim, the Gen, Will, D. Really, and Jay Pink, as well as Andrew. Thank you guys so much. You guys keep this train rolling. Friday's episode is going to be focused on the recall, the California recall. And we will uh, not only have a, a breakdown of where that is, but also... Take a look at some of the polls that we talked a little bit about in our interview with Scrimshaw, as well as the return of our retrospective on the most brutal negative ads of all time. This one was uh, this one was pretty good. It's I, I focused on an intro to a very lesser known ad, but I thought it was particularly harsh for a doomed candidate in a blowout of a race. But if you want to see a Hail Mary get thrown, listen to Friday's episode. Until then, this is your old pal, Justin Robert Young, saying some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only show that dares discuss. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.